Good morning, Journey Church. Um, I'm very excited to be here. My name is Steve Vaughn. I am the executive pastor here. This is my first time to get an opportunity to preach and teach God's Word before you, so I'm really excited about that uh, and excited to be here with you to do that. Uh, I want to tell you, we're continuing our stories of old, and I have loved this series because this series is all about the faithfulness of people in the Old Testament, how we can look at their faithfulness and then see how we can, in turn, be more faithful to God as we live out our lives for him. I, a little bit about myself. I love the Old Testament. Uh, I think the New Testament is fantastic as well. I think the whole Bible is good, but I love the Old Testament. The New Testament is very specific. It's very much about Jesus Christ. It's very much about the church, and it should be. But in the Old Testament, we get that big picture. We get that overview. We get that all that stuff that fills in everything that we need to know because where Jesus is the culmination of God's plan for redemption of all mankind. It starts all the way back in Genesis. And there are so many things for us to learn between there and there. And so this just gives us more information, more truth, more characters of God, more understanding of who he is so that we understand better how much we actually needed salvation, how much we actually needed Jesus Christ. It helps us to be greater in our faith with him. Another little thing about me is, is I was a Marine. I am a Marine and always will be a Marine. Hoorah, that's right. And uh, I find it interesting that God brought me here to Prattville to be in a sea of airmen. Um, and I was trying to figure that out. And I figured God just wanted somebody to be a good example for them. But uh, 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 anyhow, no, truly, I appreciate the Air Force greatly. I appreciate all of our armed forces and are thankful for them. Uh, but uh, so today I'm going to talk a little bit about Caleb. And, and, and um, the reason why I'm bringing up the Marines is that I believe that Caleb embodied the spirit of the first ever Marine. Okay, he just had that in him. And, and the first thing is that the Marine Corps' motto is Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. And we are going to see today that Caleb, throughout his life, throughout his serving of God, was always faithful to what God had called him to. The other thing is, while I was in the Marine Corps, we had kind of an attitude that had like a little saying to it. And it was, like, you see the hill, you take the hill. And the concept here was, is if you were given the orders, if you were given the command, if you were told to go do something, it didn't matter how big that hill was, it didn't matter who was on that hill, how much armaments were on that hill, you were going to go and take that hill. And that is the exact same attitude that, that we will see from Caleb throughout his whole entire life. He believed in the promises of God, and he said, I'm going to go take what God has promised. And so we're going to look at that today. And, and, and so, so yesterday, and or Friday and Saturday, we had one big weekend here. Anybody here at one big weekend? It was a great day, great time. And we had over 200 kids here, and those 200 kids got to hear the gospel. Pastor Nate did an incredible job of speaking through Daniel to help them understand that their decisions and their character leads to the fact that they need Jesus Christ. And so he did a fantastic job of that. We had a couple, about 100 volunteers here who did an amazing job. There was great energy. And from what I understand, one big weekend is going to turn into one big week next year. And so you need to find out about that. You need to get plugged in and be a part of that next year because we need you. You're going to need more people, and it is just a great event. But on Friday night, we had a family night here, and so I went out and I got my ice cream sandwiches. They were given out for free at the door, and I walked out, and they had these three inflatables over there. And the middle inflatable was this giant slide that had like this kind of, you climb this hill, and there's these two slides that go down it. And I looked over there, and there's multiple kids going up and down the slide. And I'm like, there's no adult there. So I said, I'm going to walk over just to make sure everything's okay. And like what normally happens, I end up being stuck there for the next hour and 15 minutes. But anyhow, so while I was doing this, I got to watch as kids would come up to this slide. They'd look at this slide, and they were kind of like, wow, look at that slide. And so some of the older kids, the braver kids, would just see that slide and just go running by me and climb right up the hill and go down the slide, 
laughing, screaming, having fun the whole entire time. But there were some younger kids. There were some kids that weren't quite sure that they wanted to do the slide as much as it looked good to them. And they would walk up and they would kind of walk up to my place and then they would turn around and then they would walk back up and they would turn around and then they would take their shoes off because you had to take your shoes off. Then I'd watch them put them back on. And they just really weren't sure they wanted to go up. And then finally you would watch them. They'd finally get their nerves up and they might have walked, they'll walk up halfway and then they come back down and then they walk up halfway and they come back down and finally they would get their nerve and they would walk to the top and they would sit at the top of that slide, a little bit of fear in their face, and they would go down that slide, and you would get to see the joy of them finally getting to do what they really want to do. And I think a lot of times in our life, that is kind of what we have in our Christian faith, is that we believe in God, we have faith in God, but we don't always trust God. We don't always trust Him when we're facing a hill. We don't always trust Him when we're facing a challenge. We don't always, we think, yeah, I know God's good, and I know He's promises to me, but what if it doesn't happen that way? What if what I'm facing is too hard? What if what I'm facing is too much of a challenge for me? And so today, we're going to look at the unwavering, how to have unwavering faith in the face of great challenges. And so let me, before we get started, let me pray for us real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank you for being able to stand up here and just to talk about Caleb, this man, Lord, that, that was so faithful to you, that was unwavering in his faith. It is such a great example of us to trust and know that you are good to keep your promises. May your word be heard today, and may we bring glory to you, Lord. It's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at Caleb's unwavering faith, and we're going to look at it in contrast of the conditional faith of the people of Israel, okay? Uh, but before we get started, I'm going to kind of give you a little background, and we're going to go way, way back. We're going to go all the way back to Abraham. Now, Pastor Tony talked about Abraham a couple weeks ago, and, and the truth is God made this covenant with Abraham. God's covenant with the people of Israel started with Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to give you a promised land, and I'm going to have you be a blessing to all the nations around you. And that was the covenant he made with Abraham. And, and, and you know, it was the covenant he made with Isaac. He reaffirmed it with Isaac. He reaffirmed it with Jacob. But we really don't see that much happen. And then there's the character of Joseph, Jacob's son. And so Joseph gets sold into slavery, into Egypt. He's in Egypt. God put him in Egypt for a reason, because there was a famine coming. And that famine came, and that famine wasn't just going to affect Egypt, it was also going to affect Israel. And so because Joseph was there, Israel was able to come to Egypt to have relief from that famine, and God delivered and protected Israel through that. And while they were in Egypt, they started to populate. They started to reproduce, and more and more, and they became that great nation. In fact, they became such a great nation that the Pharaoh then in, in um, Egypt said, man, there's more Israelites here than there are Egyptians. We need to do something about this. And so, so he imprisoned them, and he, and he enslaved them, and he had them now for 400 years they had been in slavery to Egypt. And they had cried out to God to help us, save us, free us from this slavery. And God finally provided a person, a deliverer in the person of Moses. And Moses kind of screwed it up the first time. And then Moses had to wait another 40 years as a shepherd before he was used again by God. And he was standing there, and he's with his sheep, probably sitting there thinking, man, what has become of my life? Why? Yeah, this is all I have to say. And this burning bush starts to burn, and, and, uh, but doesn't consume the bush, and it starts to speak to him. And it's God speaking to Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Moses wasn't sure at first, but he finally just kind of says, okay, I'm going to go do it. And so he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, God wants you to let his people go. And of course, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he says, no, I'm not letting your people go. Why would I do that? And Moses said, well, God's going to 
send some plagues your way and, and you might change your mind. And so the first plague comes and the Pharaoh says, Pharaoh's heart is hardened again and he will not let his people go. And the second and the third and the fourth, all the way to the ninth plague, every time the plague comes, Pharaoh starts to kind of lean into letting them go and his, his heart is hardened again, hardened again, and he says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And then the tenth plague comes, the angel of death, where the firstborn of all living creatures in Egypt, uh, firstborn is going to pass away over the night. And so that next morning, finally, Pharaoh says, go, Moses, take your people, get out of here, I don't want you here anymore, just go, whatever you have to do, just leave. And so the people of Israel prepare themselves, and they get ready to go, and they leave, and they start walking in, in the wilderness where God is directing them, and they get to the, they're approaching the Red Sea, and it says that Moses, or that Pharaoh's hard, heart, 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 heart was hardened again, and he sent all of his army after them. And so now they're in front of the Red Sea, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them, and they've got the army of Pharaoh behind them. And they're like, what do we do? God, you brought us out here. What do we do? And he says, Moses, lift up your staff. And he lifts his staff, and the waters of the Red Sea are parted. And then there's a pillar of fire that leads them through the Red Sea. And you have to just think about what they were feeling right then. They're walking through walls of water by a fire that is leading them. And they're going through a sea that they thought they could not cross. And they cross the sea and they get it to the other side. And as soon as they get to the other side, God, and the army is pursuing behind them and is coming after them. And he, and he says, Moses, lift up your staff again. And the waters close. And the whole entire army of Pharaoh is destroyed. And that was great. God had delivered them. But now they're standing in the wilderness and have no idea what to do. And God said, don't worry. I'm going to give you a pillar of cloud by day. I'm going to give you a pillar of fire by night. You're going to know where I want you to go at all times because I'm here with you. And so they got it. They started in the wilderness and they realized we don't have any water to drink. The water we have is bad or the water we have is poison. What are we going to do? And God said, I'll take care of the water. And he made the water sweet so they could drink. And then they're like, God, we're hungry. We don't have anything to eat. We, haven't, we wish we were still back in Egypt where we could eat that food. And God says, don't worry, I'm going to provide for you. And he provided manna for them and he provided quail for them. And then again, they didn't have any water. And he said, Moses, strike this rock and water came out of the rock. Constantly, God was providing and taking care of them. And then this group of people, the Amalekites came. And the Amalekites were kind of like pirates of the desert. And they came along and, and they decided to attack Israel. And Israel was like, God, you brought us all the way out here just to be attacked by the Amalekites. He goes, don't worry, I will fight for you. And he says, Moses, I want you to go on the hill as Joshua leads the troops. And he goes, and you hold your hands up. And as long as you're holding your hands up, I will fight for you. And so Moses goes up on the hill and the fight was taking a while and he got a little tired. And his brother Aaron and a man named Hur came along and held his arms up. And they defeated the Amalekites because God was going to make sure his people were taken care of. And so they get to Mount Sinai, and God tells Moses to come up on the mountain, and we know that he gives them the Ten Commandments, he gives them the law, and he, not only does he give them the Ten Commandments, the law, he tells them, this is how I want you to live, this is what our partnership is going to be, I'm going to renew this covenant to make you a great nation, I'm going to renew this covenant to make, give you a promised land, I'm going to renew this covenant for you to be a blessing to the nation, if you will live the way that I ask you to. And he says, and not only am I going to ask you to live this way, but I'm going to have my presence right here with you. With the Ark of the Covenant, with the tabernacle, I'm going to be here in your presence at times so that you can know that I am God. And so they continue this, and, and, then, and then so God has reaffirmed the covenant, and everything is going great, but the people are like, <clears throat> yeah, God's not here all the time for us. We don't have a God that we can see like other people have a God. So let's create a God for ourselves. So they created this golden calf, and they worshiped this golden calf. And even in this, you see God's mercy and love for his people. Yes, there was some judgment. There were those that were killed by the, by the priests, and there were those that were killed by plague. But for the most part, the people of Israel, God showed his grace and his mercy on them and said, you will still continue to be my people. And he reestablishes the covenant, and he, and he, and he reestablishes that I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a promised land, 
and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And then they finally get to where they're supposed to be. They finally get to Kadesh Barnea, and they're about to go into the promised land. And Moses says, hey, or God says to Moses, hey, I want you to count all the men over 20 years old that are fit for, for battle. And so Moses goes, all right. And what God is trying to do is show them who they had, who was on their team. And so they do this count, and it ends up they have over 600,000 warriors that are ready to go to battle. Now, I want to put that in perspective for you. Darius, or Darius, whatever, however you want to pronounce that, who was a, a Persian, had a great Persian army, commanded 120,000 people, men. Alexander the Great almost took over the known world with 47,000 soldiers. The Roman army, we think of this great Roman army, the largest standing Roman army at the time was 150,000 people. This is 600,000 warriors ready to go. And even uh, with, with, um, with some research and some, uh, some science that they've done, they've kind of determined and estimated that at the time, the land of Canaan had about 550,000 people living in it, men, women, children, adults, and, and older. And so you have 600,000 soldiers. God is basically saying, I told you I would take care of you. I told you I was going to give you this land. I told you I was going to make you a great nation. Look, I've done that. Now let's go take the land. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. And so they stood before the promised land, and they're at Kadesh Barnea. And this is the land that God had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And this is the land that he had coveted with his people that he would give them. And he brought them to it. And he says, now go and take this land. And so we're going to be in uh, Numbers 13 and 14 today, mostly. Uh, but we're going to start in Numbers uh, 13, 1 through 2. Kind of give us the background. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to them, the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So this is a story that we normally get, but you have to read this story in context with Deuteronomy 1. In Deuteronomy 1, the next generation, fast forwarding 40 years, the next generation is about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is recapping for them everything that has happened. And in here he says, But you all came to me and said, First, let us scout to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. This seemed like a good idea to me, so I chose 12 scouts, one from each of your tribes. Now, it's important for us to know this because God knew the land was good. So when we see in Deuteronomy that they say, hey, can we go test out, check out the land? God's like, yeah, go check out the land because my land, my promise to you is good. It is going to be good. And he just wants them to say, he didn't need them to figure out the way. He didn't need them to know who they were fighting. He didn't need any of that because he knew that he knew the way and that he was going to fight that for them. But he wanted them to see the land was good. They, on the other hand, were hedging their bets. They wanted to look at God's promise and say, is it good? And can we do this? And that's what they were trying to determine. God wanted them to know how good it was what they, he was giving them. They wanted to know, are we able to take what God has given us? And so there's, a, there's kind of two different mindsets that go here. God is saying, I have already promised this. This is the blessing that I'm going to give you, and I have guaranteed it. The people are saying, this is the blessing that God has given us. Do we want it? Can we take it? And how hard is it going to be? And so God, so basically they were saying, they were saying, they looked at this land and the spies went in, and so the spies went for 40 days, and they went and they looked, at, they looked at the terrain, they looked at the people, and they looked at how many warriors they had, they looked at how many chariots they had, they looked at their fortresses and their towns, and their, all the logistics that they needed to do, they looked at all that, and then they looked at the bounty and the fruit of the place, and they said, you know, this is a really good place. This is a really good land that God has sent us into. It is great, but it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for us to take it. But the truth is, it wasn't them who was going to take the land. It was God who was going to give it to them. 
But they couldn't see that. They couldn't see God's blessing, God's gift, and God's promise over the conditions and the circumstances and challenges that they were about to face. They couldn't see the trees or the forest through the trees. And so, so the spies, they returned. They returned with this big old ginormous um, thing of grapes. They return with some other really impressive fruit. They do this kind of show and tell to the people. And they say, you know, we saw the land that God has promised us. And you know what? He was right. It is a good, good land. But, and so here's the but. This was their report to Moses. He said, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country and a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. And then he says, and the Amalekites, they live over there in the Negev. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites, they live along the coast of the Mediterranean. Or, I'm sorry, in the hill country. And then the Canaanites, they live back here in the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the valley. It is swimming with our enemies. This is going to be a really uphill battle. This is going to be a challenge. But you've got to understand, this wasn't just some land that they walked up to and said, you know, looked around, hey, this looks like a pretty nice place. I think we can live here. This was the land that God had chosen and promised his people. But instead of receiving the gift for them, and they saw powerful people. They saw powerful warriors. They saw fortified towns. They saw giants in the land. And they saw a lot of different peoples. They saw the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Canaanites. And they thought, I don't know how we're going to do this. They said, yeah, it's a nice place. God picked really well, but it's too hard and the conditions are too bad. And I don't think we can overcome them. So we can't go into this land. We can't go into the land that God promised us. Let's not take it. And when they were denying the land that God had given them, the land that God had promised them, they were really denying everything that God had done so far to redeem them through their slavery to Egypt and throughout the rest of their lives. And in the big picture, we talked about the Old Testament pointing to the big picture. The big picture is they are now denying God's ability to redeem all of mankind. If God can't deliver Israel, how can he deliver mankind? And so they thought to themselves, God's plan won't work. It wasn't good enough. He hadn't thought this through. And you know what? We have a much better plan. We have a much safer plan, a much clearer plan. We're just going to go back to where we came from because we know that. We're just going to go out into the wilderness and just wander around and figure this thing out. As we, that's a much better plan than God's plan. And that was the message that the, ten spy, the spies brought, or I should say 10, because remember I talked about Caleb. Caleb was that man that I think kind of embodies the spirit of the first Marine. And, and, and uh, he, I'll tell you this, Caleb walked with those spies and he saw the hill, and he wanted to take that hill. He saw the land that God promised, and he wanted to take that land. We see in Numbers 30, 1330, it says, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. And in the ESV, where do I have that on there? I don't. In the ESV, it says, we can surely overcome that. This other 12, or the other 10 spies have said a lot of things, talked about all the reasons why they shouldn't go into the promised land. And Caleb's saying, we can overcome all that. We can overcome all that because we have God on our side. With God, we can overcome all those things. Caleb's response is very different from the 10 because he had faith in the one who gave the promise, which is God. 
He wasn't looking at the things around him. He wasn't looking at the challenges. He wasn't looking at the conditions that were there. He said, there might be a lot of people there. They might have strong warriors. They might have giants. They have fortified towns. It doesn't matter because you know what we have? We have God. And so, the, but the other spies doubled down. They said, but the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. We're weak. They're strong. They know it. We know it. I don't understand why God can't see it. And that was the idea that they had. They were, they were saying, you know what? We reported correctly. This is a land that is good. This is a good land. They reported exactly what God wanted them to see. The problem was is that they did not have the most important thing, which was what Caleb had, which was unwavering faith in God. Their faith, their faith was conditional. Conditional on how they felt about it conditional on how hard it might seem, conditional on the challenges that they had to face. They had looked at the, added up the odds, and they did not see how it was possible. So they did not do anything. And why was this? Because their faith in God was hedged or couched in their understanding and their belief that what God could do or what God had promised was feasible or possible in their eyes and in their strength. And the sad thing is, is the conditional faith of these, 12, these 10 spies continued on in Israel's history for long periods of time. It wasn't just here. It was that same conditional faith that led to the people of Israel not receiving all of God's blessing and not receiving all that he wanted for them from his covenant. It led to them being a lesser nation and often a divided nation. It also led to their idolatry later on when they went to seek after other gods and then taking what they did know about God and turning it into legalism and to religious extremism. It would constantly affect them. Um, <clears throat> but let's look at the, and it would constantly make them ineffective. And you know what? The truth is, is that the same thing happens to us. There are times where, where we know what we're supposed to do. We know who God is. We know his promises. And, in, and when it gets to be difficult, when it gets to be real, when it gets to be insurmountable, instead of continuing to do the things that God wants us to do, we go back to the status quo or we retreat. So I want us to look at the response of the people to this. And, 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 and I do want to remind you, this is a people that saw God part the Red Sea, that walked through the Red Sea, that saw God destroy the army of Egypt, an, an army far greater and far more powerful than the people they were about to face in Canaan. They also saw all the good and small miracles that God did for them because he loved them and he cared for them and he wanted to, to empower them as they walked through the wilderness. These same people... This is their response. It says, then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. You can imagine the drama that was going on in this camp and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it says, their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in, this, in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we just return, for us to just return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And so that was their plan. 
See, they said, God, we have faith in you. We had faith in you when you delivered us from Egypt. We had faith in you when you were guiding us through the wilderness. But this is just too much. This should be getting easier, not harder. You told us you were going to give us a land, a promised land. You were going to give us rest. And instead, what you brought us to is death. And then they're going to destroy our families. And, and you, you should have just left us in slavery. Or you should have just let us die in the wilderness. Think about what they were saying. They were willing to trade death over the perception of the difficulty they thought they had to face. They were willing to choose death. Why had they overcome slavery in Egypt? Because of God. Why had they survived in the wilderness so far and not died? It was because of God. Now they can't see God at work. They have a hope that God will give them this promised land. They, have a, they like the ideas of God delivering them. They like the idea of God being providing for them, God being on their side. But as soon as the conditions change or the conditions get too hard, their faith in God wavers. They have faith in God. They have very little trust in God to do what he says he is. But not Caleb, not Caleb's faith, not the faith of Joshua, the other faithful spy, not the faith of Moses and Aaron, who were God's, God, the people that got, led God's people and God spoke to. They had a different idea. They had a different faith and a different reaction. In verse 5, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell down to the ground before the whole community of Israel. So they are praying, interceding for the people of Israel. And two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing, which is a sign of mourning and repentance. And they're like, please don't do this, God, what is happening? And they are, they are trying to turn the tide. And they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. He's, they're reminding them, the land that God promised us would, is good. He said it would be good. It is good. It will not devour us. It will not tear us apart. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. Notice where their perspective is. They're not saying we can take this land. They're saying God will give us what he has promised. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not, need, do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are helpless prey to us. Remember that you said we were like grasshoppers to them, that they were huge and they were strong and we were weak? No. They're like grasshoppers to us. We have nothing to fear because we have the Lord. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. The difference is, the difference between Caleb and Joshua and the other spies is that Caleb's eyes were on God. Caleb had his eyes on God all the time, and he was focused on what God was doing, what God had promised, what God had said, and he knew it would come to be. For Caleb, the conditions didn't matter. Because God was powerful beyond all those conditions and beyond all conditions. I think sometimes we need to be reminded that what we're facing, what challenges we're facing, what conditions we have, what tr trouble, troubles or struggles that we, are, we, are, we, we think we can't overcome, that God is more powerful and is powerful beyond all of those conditions. And I think we need to be reminded of that, and I think Caleb reminds us of that. And in and, and Caleb and Joshua's minds and hearts, the responsibility was not try to figure out how we can do this, but it was to go and take this land. It was, and how to take this land, it was to trust God to give them what he had promised. We don't have to figure out how we do it. We just have to trust in God to do it for us. Their unwavering faith is going to be responded to in two incredibly drastic different ways. And so the first way their faith is responded to is by the people. 
And so, they're un- so the people said, well, as soon as they got done saying this, the people said, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Okay, so they had stood in unwavering faith. They had stood in absolute faith, and it scared and angered the people around them who should have been equal in faith to them. Because their faith in God was a challenge to that weaker, that partial, that conditional faith. And this, we can see this sometimes in our own lives. There are some times where we can stand in God's faith. We can stand in God's truth, whether it's for something right or, or it's for something or against something. But we know we are doing what God has called us to do. And sometimes the people that we want to support us most, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are the people that are most against us and holding us back and that are not walking in their faith. And, and, and so while we would expect them to be there with us, they sometimes can be against us. And that is exactly where Caleb finds himself. But you know what? God always responds to unwavering faith in the same way. He receives it and he rewards it. And we see next, God intervened. It says, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. So God shows up. He silences the people. He stops what is going on. And he becomes an active participant in this almost deadly debate between this Uh, Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron and the rest of their people. And so God tells Moses, he says, you know, I'm sick of these people. I'm sick of them not obeying me. I'm sick of them not believing in me. I'm sick of them not thinking that I'm their God. I'm sick of them not trusting in my promises. I'm just going to destroy these people. And Moses says, God, don't do that because you know that you asked us to be a blessing to the nations for for us to point to you, to point to other people how good you are. And if you destroy us, that's going to tear all that down. And God changed his mind. He didn't change his mind, though. We use that a lot. What God did is God agreed with Moses. God agreed in his character, who he was. And he says, you know what? I'm going to allow the people. But just as they had conditions on, on t- going into the promised land, I'm going to have conditions on how they go into the promised land now. And so in Numbers 14, 20 through uh, 24, 30, we see, Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter into that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous, miraculous signs I performed, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me in refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. They have been left out of the covenant. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land to, and he, he explores. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. And then in the ESV, I love the way it says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, because he has faith, a different faith, and he has followed me fully, unwavering, no conditions, no stipulations. I will bring him into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. So in verse 30, which we're not going to show here, verse 30, he includes Joshua in this. And then there are the cons, and God talks about the consequences for the next generation. He says, this generation is not going into the promised land. This generation is, but you don't get to go now. You have to wait 40 years because of the faithlessness of your parents and of your forefathers. And because they could not have faith in me, their faith was conditional. There, you are, there's a time now where you have to wait. And so God will then go in and he'll strike down the other 10 pro- spies uh, with a plague. And he kills them and the people are just afraid and they repent or try to repent. They try to show their unwavering faith and they try to, to, to do what God, they think God wants them to do. So they 
strap on their arms and they go into Canaan. They said, now we're going to take the land. And they get there and they realize God is not with us. And they are swiftly and brutally attacked and beaten back by the Canaanites. And this is where the 40 years in the wilderness begins. And so before we talk about the results kind of of Caleb's faith, I want us to look at two things about uh, conditional faith. First thing is conditional faith is not faith at all. Jesus talked about this in Matthew. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I would tell you that you could also put a whole lot of other words in there. You can say you cannot serve God and money. You can say I cannot serve God in security or comfort or my opinion or my desires or my own power or my own plans. Whenever and whatever we choose to follow or to, to, to side with over God means that we are making that Lord and master of our lives instead of God. We can be as guilty as this as the Israelites. And you know, when we are guilty of this, we have the same ramifications and consequences because we find out how ineffective our faith is because we are not giving it fully to God. This happens in churches as well. Churches begin to die when they, start to, they, start have, they stop having absolute faith that God wants to do great things through them. And they start to do things their way instead of looking to God to lead them in mighty acts. That's when churches start to fail. God wants to do great and mighty things through you. He wants to do great and mighty things through me. He wants to do great and mighty things through the church. But he can't and he won't when we follow him with conditions and conditional faith. When we are not putting, we are not, we are not putting our absolute and unwavering trust in God, he cannot work through us the way that he wants to. The second point, and, and when I'm talking about this, I'm not speaking of saving faith. I'm talking about the faith to follow, the faith that makes our faith for lordship, the faith that says, I trust God and God alone. So the other thing I want to make clear is you can't fake unwavering faith. You can't fake your faith. You can talk a bit. If you look at the Israelites, they were like, you know what, we haven't showed a whole lot of faith in God, but all of a sudden now we're going to be faithful, so we're going to go into the promised land, we're going to take the land that God gave us, and what happened? They were defeated, because you can't fake your faith. You can, can't talk a big game, you can't be overly religious, you can't have enough knowledge, position, power, or authority, you can't make up for a lack of faith, okay? You cannot make up for a lack of faith. You can't see the results and the actions that your lack of faith has, and then just say, you know what, I'm going to gird my loins. I'm going to pull up my big boy pants. And I'm just going to make this happen. I can do this. And I'm just going to will this to happen. It just does not work that way because though faith is an outward expression, it is an inward, it is an inward thing. It is that inward, complete, and unshakable belief that God can do whatever he says he could, did, would. And we, it's not something that we get to choose when we want to put on and when we don't. And so Caleb is the opposite of this. When we look at Caleb, Caleb is the opposite of all this. Caleb is the person in this narrative that we, real faith looks like. He is an outward expression of an inward, unwaverable faith in God. And so Caleb's name literally means dog, okay? And then dog had the connotation of being somebody who was lowly or somebody who was uncouth, okay? But it could also mean someone who was loyal or someone who was a servant. And Caleb really embodied both of these things. He really represented them both well. Caleb probably was not from the greatest family in the world. Probably wasn't from the most influential family. He was a little rough around the edges. He was very matter of fact. He saw things, uh, he was very grounded in reality. He saw things very black and white. This probably made him sometimes a little bit rough around the edges. 
and hard to di- and difficult to be around probably. But he was also definitely loyal. He was loyal to God. He was loyal to his leaders. He was loyal to God's promises. He was, it, he was referred to and described as faithful, servant, wholehearted, semper fidelis. He was always faithful. So Caleb the dog was a man of unwavering faith. So I want to fast forward in Caleb's life. Caleb would not receive his reward for 45 years. He would wait 45 years for God's promises to come into fruition. He had to live in the wilderness. He had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years with his generation because of their disobedience, because of their conditional faith that led them not to go into the promised land. And then while he is in the promised land, he had to watch all of his friends and his contemporaries pass away, save Joshua. And then he's also had to listen to the next generation talk about plan for, prepare for, and excited about going in and taking the promised land that was meant in purpose for his generation. He probably sat around and encouraged them. He probably told them about God. He probably told them about God's promises and encouraged them to take God's promises. But Caleb never really knew whether they would do that or not or if they would act like the, the generation before. So for 40 long, hard, aimless, and unproductive years, he waited. But Caleb never lost faith in God's promises. And when that time came, he was ready to follow God and to claim what God had promised. And so for five years into the conquest of Canaan, Caleb receives his reward for his faithfulness. Now I want you to think about this. For 40 years, he wandered in the wilderness. For five years, he led and fought alongside the next generation to secure God's promise for all of Israel. And then and only then did Caleb get his reward. Let's look at that. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what, the Lord, uh, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were here at, or when we were at Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me for frightened the people entering the promised land, for my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. I was faithful. I was unwavering. I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your, or be your grant of land, and that your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. You were always faithful. You were unwavering. So here's what Caleb asked for. He says, now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years. He trusted the promise of God to keep him alive. He knew that God was also always faithful. He said, it's been 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old. I love that part. Kind of awesome. And I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there, the giants, and they were living in in walled towns, those great fortifications. And he said, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Caleb... Thank you for that. Uh, Caleb saw the hill. He sees the hill and he says, I'm going to take that hill. And he said, Caleb was ready. Caleb was ready to do and take what God had promised him. But the truth is, is that Caleb would not take that hill. Caleb would 
live on that hill. Caleb's descendants would live on that hill. Caleb would not take that hill. It would be the God who promised that land that took that hill. The God whom Caleb had, had, has, and would always serve, and with unwavering faith, believe him to be who he said he was and to believe his promises to be true. The conditions didn't matter to Caleb. The obstacles didn't matter. The power of the forces didn't matter. Even the delay of 45 years did not matter to Caleb. God promised it, and Caleb believed it wholeheartedly in that promises of God. And his life was forever changed by the unwavering faith in the midst of others' doubts, in the midst of their threats. He stood tall and proud and resolute in the fact that if God said that he would do it, it was as good as done. And that same truth is today. So what can we take from today? First, next steps for today, evaluate and remove the conditions you are putting on having complete and unwavering faith in God. All of us, myself included, all of us have things that we put between God. And we say, God, I trust you here, but I can't trust you here. Or God, I trust you in this, but I don't know if I can trust you in this. And God's saying, I want you to remove those conditions. I want you to remove all the little things that you might think that I can't handle because I can handle it and turn that over to me and allow me and give complete faith in me. And to help us do that, we need to strengthen our faith by remembering how God has blessed, equipped, and empowered you as you face challenges in the past. God has blessed us. God has been good to us. God loves us and has taken care of us. He wants us to remember how he's done that because he will continue to do that. And then trust God no matter what we are facing. Whatever challenge, whatever conditions, whatever struggle that we have before us, remember that none of those conditions are more powerful than our God. And then finally and last, have unwavering faith in God for salvation. The most greatest obstacle that each of us face is not the things that we see in this world. It's not giants. It's not armies. It's not fortified towns. It is that we have sin in our lives, that we have chosen to be disobedient to God. And because we have chosen to be disobedient to God, that we are separated from God. And God wants us to have this relationship with us. And the great thing is, is just like God provided a way for the people of Israel, just like God gave them a, a promised land, he has provided a way through us through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have eternal life and that we can have purpose and meaning in here. And the Bible says that if we believe in our heart, if we have unwavering faith and we confess of our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And so if you are here today and, and you're just, and, and you've never had that relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to do that now. So if you would just bow your heads with me. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I, you know, I'm hearing about God and, 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 and I think I, I have faith in God. I think I want to trust God. I think I understand all this, but I just don't understand how I become part of God's family and how I know that God knows me and loves me and, tr and I can have trust in him. And so uh, I just want to want you to just sit, sit and think for just a second that we know that we are all sinners. We know that we have all sinned against God. We know that we have all gone and gone and done things our own way. And we've trusted ourselves more than we trust God for his goodness and his promises. And I just want you to confess that here right now. just want you to, to turn that over to God and say, God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in my heart that he died for my sins and I confess that he is my Lord and my Savior. And if you did that right now, I just want to ask you, just if, if that's something you did, just lift up your hand for me so we can see that, so we can know who you are, so we can walk with you, we can talk with you and encourage you in that decision. 
If you made that decision and you, and you want to just uh, text my decision to 94,000, you can do it that way. We will also, as we're going to come here and sing in just a minute after I pray, uh, we're going to come here and we're going to sing and you can come up to the front. We have our prayer team that's here. They want to talk with you, converse with you, and try to walk through this with you and help celebrate any decision that you made. So let me pray and then we'll... Uh, so dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for the the example that Caleb is, Lord, the example that Caleb is, that our faith is meant to be unwavering in you. Our faith is meant to, 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 to constantly seek you, your promises, and know that you are good to follow them. And Lord, we know that you are good to follow them because we have seen what you've done in our lives through Jesus Christ, that you sent your son to die on the cross so that we could have forgiveness, we could have eternal life, and we could have purpose in life. And we thank you and we praise you for that, Lord. In your holy, precious name we pray. So now I'm going to ask you to stand, and our, our band's going to come back up and lead us in song. If you want to come down, our prayer, our prayer team will be down here. You can talk to them about any decision you made, but you might be facing a challenge or, or a situation today that you're like, I don't know if I can trust God, and I want somebody to pray over me. Please come down and let them pray with you during this time.